0: following is a continuation in our series looking at the lies that Satan tells us.
1: We hope you enjoy. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for every single person that has decided to be a part of this Zoom call tonight. I pray that we would learn something, that uh, your word would speak to us, that your spirit would move, and that we would understand a little bit about the gospel in a deeper way. I pray that we'd have good conversation afterwards, and I pray that as I speak tonight, that they really would be your words, which you move in the hearts of everyone on this Zoom call. Love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been going through the series, right, lies that we tell ourselves, and so today the lie we're going to talk about, and we'll talk about why it's a lie, is the lie that says if God gives me grace no matter what, then if I sin, it does not matter. I got two points For you all tonight, and I'll break them down. But when we're thinking about what is grace and why is it not okay for us to sin whenever we want or however we want, if God's just going to forgive us, my two points are basically going to be grace is not a license to sin, right? It's not okay just because we have grace to sin. And my second point will be grace is actually the power to righteousness. There's a John Piper quote. Uh, John Piper is a famous pastor, and his quote is, Something along the lines of grace not only pardons us from sin, but it also gives us the power to pursue righteousness. And so we're going to look at that element tonight. How is grace not just the pardoning work of Christ, but also the powerful work of Jesus' death, resurrection, applied to us by the Holy Spirit? And so we're going to look at several passages tonight. And so first we're going to look at 1 Peter 2.16. Can I get a volunteer to read 1 Peter 2.16? Me. Go for it. I appreciate that, Bennett.
0: Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God.
1: Sweet. So there, I mean, we have it straight in the Bible, right? It says that the freedom we have, the forgiveness and grace of God, is not an excuse to use our freedom that we have in Christ for evil, right? So... At one sense, we already know that it's wrong, right, that it's a lie to say I can do whatever I want because I have grace, because the Bible, which is the authority, which is God's word, straight up says that's not how it works, right? So that's, an, that's a reason in and of it itself, just because the Bible says it. Uh, but we're kinda look, we're kind of going to look at three reasons other than just because the Bible says so, why it's not okay just to use grace as a license to sin. And our first reason that we're going to look at is that it is unhealthy, right? It's not good for us to just sin whenever we want. And when we think about it, right, I mean, the reason it's unhealthy is because sin is what Jesus saved us from, right? Sin leads to condemnation. That is true. And sin leads us to hell. That is true if we are not repentant and believing in Jesus. But also sin in and of itself is almost a punishment, right? It doesn't truly fulfill us. It doesn't truly give us satisfaction. Also, it harms us, right? Sin brought brokenness into the world. When I think of An example of this would be Romans 8. It talks about how the creation itself is longing for Jesus' return and the restoration of the world because sin has so affected it that it's groaning in, in like, pains of childbirth, right? So sin brings in brokenness. It brings in pain. So just actively sinning whenever we want is actually unhealthy for us, and that's one reason why we shouldn't just sin even though we have grace. Tree sent me a meme. um, and I don't have the picture, but basically the meme was see if I can – I'll pull it up. Maybe I can show it to you all. But it's I thought it was interesting and I think it is a good point. It says grace is no more a license to sin than electricity is a license to electrocute yourself. Basically saying just because I can do something doesn't mean that I should do something. And just because I can do something sometimes that means it's actually one of the most unhealthy things that you can do. So the first reason why it's Wrong to say that grace is a license to sin is because really when we sin just flippantly without care, right, it's unhealthy. It's not good for us. Sin often leads to shame, and shame and sin, they separate us from God. And so it's not a good thing or a helpful thing or a healthy thing to just sin flippantly. The second reason why grace is not a license to sin is because it is ungrateful. So can I get someone to read John 14, 23 through 24? I can. Yeah. And. Okay. Thank you. Uh,
0: remind me of the verse again.
1: John fourteen, twenty three
0: through twenty four. Okay. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me and does not keep my word, words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me.
1: Thanks, Anna. But we also see right that the obedience and the love that we have for Jesus, right? that gratefulness that we have is actually outplayed in keeping God's word or keeping his commandments. And so when we don't do that, we're actually saying, I'm not really thankful for what Jesus has done. Right? It's actually us turning around and saying, what Jesus did wasn't really that important. I have bigger concerns for myself. And so as I was thinking about it, how is it ungrateful? I began to think it really is taking God's grace and God's character and distorting it a little bit. And so as I was thinking about that, when you say it's okay just to do whatever you want, if God will forgive you, you begin to make God's character and his grace, you begin to make it all about yourself, right? You're not making about what Jesus has done for you, but it immediately turns inward and self-centered. And so when immediately, anytime you make any part of God's characteristics or anything about his character, if you make it about yourself and not about him, you've distorted his character and distorted the work that he does in your life. And so as I was thinking about this, what would be, good example of this. I thought about an example of, like, all of y'all are in school, and so maybe not all of you do sports, but let's imagine, okay, that put ourselves in a situation where we're in school, and we have a certain teacher, and this teacher is also the football coach. He's the head football coach. And we're going to say that you, you're not an athlete, right? You're not not in football. You're not in basketball. You you don't do any sports, right? You're just a full-time student, and the teacher of your, we'll say, history class is... He's also the football coach. And so you have a friend who is actually the star quarterback. And so both of y'all go to class every day together. He's, your, he's one of your best friends. He's the star quarterback, and you aren't in sports. And as you start turning in assignments, you realize that you actually, you're getting like 80s and 85s, and you feel like you're doing your best. And actually, when you go back and you look at it, you're like, okay, maybe I actually did deserve an 80 or an 85. But then let's say you look over at your friend, uh, who's the star quarterback, and you look at his page, you ask look at it, and he's putting one-word answers, which is weird, because your teacher said, I want a paragraph no less than two or three sentences. But then you see that he's put one-word answers. His answers are actually not just too short, but they're also wrong. And then you see that he's been given a 100, right? And every day, he comes in and he turns in subpar work that doesn't meet the standard, and he gets a 100, and you actually get an 80 or an 85, whatever the grade is that you actually deserve. It actually gets so bad to the point to where the star quarterback – He doesn't even turn in his homework anymore. He just comes in and he gives the teacher a high five and says, thanks. And the teacher gives him a high five right back and pats him on the back and says, you're good. Now, When we hear that, what goes into our minds is that's unfair. And the truth is that is unfair. But I think what the difference is there is that that star quarterback isn't actually experiencing grace. He's experiencing what's called partiality or biased favor. And so my point is sometimes I think we can view ourselves like the star quarterback. We think that God is the teacher, and he's the head football coach, like in the analogy, and we can do whatever we want, and God will just say, it's all good. You can do whatever you want, and really God looks at us, and he sees, well, because this student can do something for me on the football field, I'm not really going to pressure them in the classroom. And so we think we can turn in whatever we want, and God's just going to pat us on the back, give us a high five, and not really care. And I push back on that a little bit because that's actually not grace. Grace isn't about us. It isn't God looking at us and saying, this person has something to offer me. And because they have something to offer me, I'm going to give them Jesus' righteousness. Actually, what it is is that Jesus, right, it says in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, right, And whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And so there really is a difference in that grace is all motivated from the supreme goodness and blessedness of God, where as partiality really says, God saved me because there's actually something good about me. And I do think that sometimes we sin and we say, well, God's just going to forgive me or he's not going to really care because we begin to think that the grace God has given us isn't actually grace, but in reminds minds we begin to do it like partiality. Like God actually needs us for something and that the grace that he gives us has more to do about us than actually about him. And that's actually flawed. The grace that God has for you has nothing to do with you, it has everything to do with God's characteristics and His and his innate goodness. All right, the last reason that I have for you, and there, I'm sure there are other reasons, and we can talk about it more in, in small groups, but the last reason I'm going to talk about why it's not okay just to use grace as an excuse to sin is because it's unproductive and it's foolish. So, Tree, if I could have you read Romans 6, 12 through 19. Yeah. Let not
0: sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, for since you're not under the law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we are no longer under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching, to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness leading to sanctification.
1: Awesome. Thanks, And And so there we see in verse 13, it says, Do not present your members to sin, As instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. That word instruments, I was reading a commentary, and the word instruments there is close to like arms that you take into battle. So Paul's actually his point there is the things that you have been given, right? Like what you've been given by God, use those members that you have as weapons against sin, right? Use them as weapons to wage war against sin. And so what he says is, don't use it as a weapon to wage war against the life of righteousness because God has saved you to righteousness. And so as I was thinking about this, really, I think what Paul set up here is there's basically kind of two teams, right? There's two different sides. There's a team of unrighteousness and sin, which is someone who's under the law. And then there's the team of righteousness and purity, which is under grace, right? The team of grace. And as I was thinking about this, I thought of an analogy. Let's pretend, we'll use another sports analogy, I'm sorry for the for another sports analogy, but let's pretend that we're playing basketball, okay, and you're a basketball player, and you are winning by five points with a minute and a half to go, okay? Let's say that your teammate passes you in the ball, and then all of a sudden, instead of trying to go score on the other team's hoop, you turned around and you shot on your own team, <laughs> and you scored on yourself, right? That would be pretty confusing, and it would be unproductive, and it actually would be, Against the whole concept of what you're trying to do. You're trying to beat the other team. And if you turned around and started scoring on your own team, it would not only be unproductive, but it would be foolish. It would be unproductive in the sense that it would be leading to you possibly losing, right? If you did it two or three more times and time ran out and you actually, your team had less points than the other team, then you would lose. But also it's just, it's foolish, right? There's no point in helping the other team. You're on your team. You should try to help your team win. I want to kind of use that in a similar way and say that. Grace actually has saved us so that we can play for the team of righteousness or so we can pursue holiness without the fear of condemnation. Basically what that means is that pursuing holiness and trying to not sin, right, and not be flippant in the way that we sin, is productive and helps in our walk and helps in our relationship growing closer to God. And it is because of grace that we're actually able to do that. When we forsake grace and say, well, I'm okay either way. And actually what we're doing is we're being unproductive in our walk with the Lord, and we are also being foolish. We're not growing in our sanctification, we're not growing in our relationship with the Lord, and it's actually counterproductive and foolish to just sin flippantly because we think, oh well, God's gonna forgive me anyway, so I'll do whatever I want. And so just a reminder, grace is not a license to sin because it is unhealthy, it's ungrateful, and it's unproductive and foolish. Now we're gonna move to my second point, which is grace is the power to Righteousness. Um, and so we're almost done. We're going to read two more passages. I'll try to get through this rather quickly. Tree, can you finish the Romans passage? Start at 17. Please. All right.
0: Well, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient to the heart, to the standard of teaching to which you are committed and having been set free from sin, having become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations for just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness. So now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit that you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord.
1: So, we see that grace gives us the ability and the desire to pursue holiness in this passage. And so one of the reasons why we should pursue holiness is what this passage is saying is that righteousness is more fulfilling and it is better than sin. Right? That's its point. We look at, let's look at verse 19. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members As slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. So he's saying, at first you were living in sin, and that led to lawlessness, and that lawlessness led to more lawlessness. And lawlessness leads to condemnation, shame, fear, and punishment. But he's saying, when you live in righteousness, and you live as someone who submitted under grace, that righteousness leads to sanctification, leads to growth, leads to relationship and communion with God and with men, with God and with your friends. Again, it says in verse twenty, when you were slaves of sin. You were free in regard to righteousness, basically saying. When you were sinners and not saved by grace, you had no concern for righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? So he's saying, but now you realize that you weren't actually getting anything beautiful out of that. There was nothing joyous or any fulfillment coming out of that lifestyle. When you were free from living in righteousness or when you didn't want to live in righteousness, you didn't produce anything fruitful, fulfilling, or beautiful out of that. And what does he say? The end of those things is death, right? There really is nothing beautiful, fulfilling or substantial in the sinful ways. But he says in verse 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so I want you to see that pursuing holiness is better. And it really does, you get the benefits and the fruits that comes with righteousness, which is sanctification, which ultimately leads and ends in eternal life. And so the way that we experience, actually, eternal life, part of the way that we get there is through the sanctifying work of pursuing holiness, which is brought in us by the Holy Spirit. Okay, we're going to look at one more passage I'll talk about it real quick, and then we'll break into small groups. Emma, can I have you read Matthew seven fifteen through 20?
0: Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the deceased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits.
1: Thanks, Emma. Okay, so my second kind of point, so my first one was... Right. Grace gives us the benefits and the beauties of righteousness. And those benefits and beauties are called fruit. Right. So grace also produces fruit. And so we're going to look at that a little bit. And so what I want you all to see here is that Jesus, Jesus is speaking in this in verses 15. He uses one analogy and then he jumps from one analogy to the other. Right. So in verse 15, he says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So he first says, OK, False prophets are like ravenous wolves who are dressed as sheep's clothing. But then he quickly jumps from that analogy and jumps to, you will recognize them by their fruits, which at first might seem a little odd because why wouldn't you just stick with one analogy? But what I want to point out is I want, to, I want you to think about it. Okay, let's say that you're a shepherd and you're walking in the field and you walk by a sheep and the sheep is growling at other sheep. And you kind of walk by and you're like, well, that's kind of odd. Sheep don't normally growl. At other sheep. That's not really something that sheep do, at least as far as I'm aware. Then you walk by it again the next day and you notice that the sheep is like howling, which is odd because sheep don't howl. And so you kind of walk by. You walk by the next day and you notice that the sheep is actually eating another sheep. Well, that's really odd, because I don't know of any sheep that eat other sheep. So you walk over and you what? You realize, oh, it's not a sheep, it's a wolf that looks like sheep's clothing. And the reason I point that out is because I want you to view it from that lens. As you're thinking about what does it mean to be a wolf in sheep's clothing, what that really means is that you're able to tell if a wolf is a wolf in sheep's clothing by the way that it acts, right? The fruit of its behavior actually reveals who it really is. And so that's why Jesus jumps from that analogy to the next, where he says you will know them by their fruits. He explains it further. He says you will recognize them by the fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Basically, he's saying we have a grape bush. Will it produce figs or thistles? No. If it's a grape bush... It's going to produce grapes. Right. So his point is, you'll know false teachers or this will apply to almost any and every person. You'll know a person, whether they are saved by grace or not by grace, by the fruit of their behavior. Right. The way that they act will actually reveal something about them. And so he goes on. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. So his point is those who have been saved by grace are healthy trees. Right. And they produce good fruit. Right. There is evidence that they are a healthy tree because grace has worked in them because they have now been turned from a diseased tree. That's what the gospel is. Right. Jesus comes and turns our sinful hearts into purified, righteous hearts. And that righteous heart produces healthy, beautiful fruit. And then in verse 19, he continues, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. So his point is, if you're not producing fruit, right, if you're not one who is pursuing righteousness, holiness, right? You're not one who actively is looking, how can I serve the Lord in this area? Right? If that's not on the top of your mind, right? Jesus is saying, what fruit are you producing? Right? What does that actually reveal about what type of tree you are? Are you a healthy tree or a disease tree? And so I want to point that out and say, like, I think it's helpful for us to examine the fruits of our labor and say, okay, am I someone that actively is pursuing holiness? Am I someone that when my teacher asks me to be quiet, I realize that That's the authority God's put over me, so I desire to respect that. Or when my parents ask me to take out the trash, I desire to honor my father and mother because I've been saved by a great God, and he tells me to honor my father and mother, so I'll go and take out the trash. Right? Are we striving for obedience because of the grace that has worked in us? I don't want you all to leave this and be like, well, I'm not someone that really has any fruit from what I can see, and so maybe I'm not saved. And so maybe the solution then is just to be better, and I'll really try to be better at producing my own fruit. And I want to caution you there because that's not the gospel, actually. And I want to remind you that fruit is only produced if you're a healthy tree. And the gospel really says the only way for diseased trees or diseased humans, people defiled by sin in every part of who they are, for them to become righteous and healthy trees that will produce fruit is through faith in the perfect work of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're called to do. We're called to rest and rely on Jesus. right? And that's actually the solution. right? That's what will produce fruit when we actually rest in Jesus. It's not like Jesus pardoned us and said, you're forgiven, now go pursue righteousness. And if you don't pursue righteousness, you're not saved. He actually says, you're pardoned from sin, and now I've given you the power to pursue holiness. And the way that we pursue holiness is by looking at Jesus. And Jesus applies that holiness unto us through the work of the Holy Spirit. And I would say the best ways to deepen our desires to... Pursue holiness, pursue righteousness, to follow him in obedience, to love Jesus by keeping his commandments are read scripture, pray, and live in community. And we don't do those things to say, look, Jesus, look what I've done. But we actually do those things because those things reset our minds on the gospel, and they re-light a fire in our hearts that say, the gospel is so beautiful, how could I not pursue holiness? The gospel is so beautiful, how could I not obey God's commandments? So that's what I want to leave you with. I want you all to be in a place where you're depending on the gospel. Not only for your salvation, not only for your pardon, but also I want you to rely on the gospel and see it as the motor of your obedience. See it as the motor for your pursuit of holiness, right? Faith without works is dead, right? It's true. It says it in James 2. But the way to revive your faith, right, or to revive your soul is not to say, I'm going to go be better. Actually, the way to revive true faith is to say, actually, I need to depend on Christ and look to him. And when we do that, that inevitably produces fruit. It inevitably produces a desire to love God and love others. It inevitably produces the desire to pursue holiness and pursue righteousness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your Son. Thank you that he has really saved us from our sin. And he saved us from the penalty of sin. And so thank you that we are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. But we're also thankful that through his resurrection and perfect life and death and the power of the Spirit, and the application of the Spirit, we're actually freed from the power of sin, too. And You've given us the ability to pursue righteousness and where your spirit will actually produce fruit. And so I pray that each and every one of us would, by looking at the gospel, it would increase a desire in us where we want to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, and serve our neighbor. Love and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Thank you for tuning in. We hope this has been helpful for you. Please keep an eye out for more audio upcoming from WYM.